Have you ever heard of a hoary hoary knife? You know, I think I have. I think that name sounds familiar somehow. Okay, are we recording right now? Uh, yes. Oh, of course then never mind. I can't talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a pre-show prepared. Let me think real quick. Was there something that I was doing yesterday? Was the video edit or the, the thing on the thing? I mean, we can banter on about potentially switching over to uh, <laughs> over to uh, DaVinci Resolve. I don't know. Like having having just wrapping up this edit. I really want to grade more and more, like especially working with the F-Log2 footage and dealing with all that. More and more, I want to do all my grading in Resolve. And as I learned to be a better colorist, and I'm watching all those Wazahahua, whatever his name is, videos and you know YouTube and this and blah, 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 that. Resolve is just where it's at. Like if I'm doing any color work, I want to be doing it in Resolve. But the whole round tripping it is becoming more and more of a pain. And it's like if you have to do any final tweaks... You just can't. You have to get to a completed edit, never going to change any of the cuts or any of the transitions, then do the grade. Then you still have to go back to Final Cut. Yeah, that, that part seems annoying. Does, I guess what's always worried me about Resolve, though, is that in Final Cut, I know the tools aren't as powerful for color grading, but it's also really easy to do. I mean, I can just open up the window and tweak a couple of settings, and it looks pretty good. Is it the same in Resolve, or is it hard to get it to look good? Uh, it's, it's, there's a, there's a steeper learning curve, like a significantly steeper learning curve in Resolve. Like it took me a good while to figure out how to even get to the point where I had a clip where I could grade it. Everyone's like, okay, <laughs> we're in the color tab. Let's get going. And I'm like, well, how do I, how do I get there? How do I get a clip from on my computer into this part of the, I have to like make a timeline and then like put everything in the timeline. The answer is yes. But yeah, it's, 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 there's a big, there's a bigger curve to learning it. But once you kind of get the basics and understand how the nodes work and everything, it, it makes a lot of sense. It's more like working in Photoshop or Lightroom. Mm-hmm. Well, probably more like Photoshop because you're dealing with layers and deciding like which which previous things does this thing apply to and blah, blah, blah. And yeah. so, so now that you've kind of learned how to do it, do you feel like you can quickly get a clip to like a rough color grade or does it still take you a long time to get something that looks passable? I can, I feel like in Resolve, I can get to some something that looks what I feel like is, you know, 80% there in a pretty quick, a pretty quick stretch of time. Okay. Well, that's not too bad then. That's because that's kind of what I look for. A lot of times when I'm doing projects, I'm not trying to, I mean, sometimes I want it to look really good, but sometimes I just want to get it done quickly. Right. Exactly. And round tripping out of one develop, uh, uh, editing software into another one of them back. Is not quick. No, no, it's annoying that... and things break and your sound doesn't necessarily work. And if you're using any plugins and uh, effects or titles, it just mm-hmm. it's just bad news bears. And like I know a lot of people do it, and it's a workable flow of you know process or whatever. But I don't know. I mean, DaVinci Resolve started as just color grading, and so like that's how you used it. You know, once upon a time, but mm-hmm. I don't know. So have you ever done editing in Resolve? I've, I've never edited in DaVinci Resolve. I'm, in, I'm intimidated by that. I've used Premiere and Final Cut. They're very different. Although, I mean, I have to say it, it didn't take me that long to switch between them. I started in Final Cut and then I did Premiere for a little bit. And I mean, I don't know. The, the first project was a little slow, but it wasn't that hard to learn how to use. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I think that maybe having me having used Premiere and having used Final Cut, the the learning how to use Resolve, maybe that won't be a huge thing. It's just, it's switching back from, I've like, I've 
you know, learn the way of the magnetic timeline. And so that's how I'm editing now. And now I have to like go through the whole, you know, brain yoga to get into a world Mm -hmm. where I'm not magnetic timeline editing though. I may be wrong with this, but I think you might be able to flip a switch and resolve to have it act in either way. Oh, that'd be cool. Maybe, maybe that's not true. I think that, you know, when, when I learned how to do editing, I was I was learning how to edit videos at the same time I was learning how to get good at Final Cut. And so I think in my head, those two are very tightly coupled together. And I feel very comfortable in Final Cut because it's how I learned how to do it. But I think that probably like most things, the skill of knowing how to edit in terms of, you know, what clips do I want? Where do I want them to be? How do I want them to transition? I feel like that's the hard part. And then from that point, like learning all these tools is just learning how to use the tool. And that seems easier to me. Yeah, true. Like, I don't know, for me, whenever I was switching from Premiere to Final Cut, a lot of it was relearning all the keyboard things. And I think that's another thing you can do in Resolve. I think you can just like map over all your keyboard mm, shortcuts. Though I might cool. be convincing that with Final Cut because I know you can do a lot of keyboard things in Final Cut. But like, you know, it's, V is your cursor in Adobe products, but A is your pointer cursor in Final Cut. Right. And like all of those things, you know, blade versus cut, you know, you just, you have to relearn all of your short keys and that's like that's how you get fast at editing is like you have one hand on the keyboard and you're like boom 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 just switching between your range tools and your cuts and your whatever and being able to do that quickly is how you edit quickly and having to relearn all those things it's just it's a big lift i think yeah and i i'm like Gerald Dundon put out a video jeez it was like 3 years ago on DaVinci Resolve 16 where he was talking about like he was still editing in Premiere, but he was, you know, working on potentially switching over. And there was a number of problems that he was having that were for me like deal breaking bugs. Mm -hmm. And I know that we're on 18 now or maybe 19. Well, the why I have 18 installed. I don't know if there's a newer version and like it's two versions later and it's been three years. Like they probably fixed all that stuff, but I don't, I don't know without like getting into it. Yeah. And a lot of his problems were things that I was like, that would impact me, but I have no idea if I would have noticed. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the good thing is that every YouTuber likes to release a video that's, you know, I tried switching to resolve for 30 days or whatever. And so you can probably just find one of those from this year and, and it would tell you whether th- some of those things are still problems. I think I need to grab a link to this video and tweet Gerald and be like, are these still problems and should I switch to resolve? I think that's a great idea. And maybe, maybe he'll answer my question. Maybe so. Cause I don't know. I mean that the thing we're dancing around here is that I think we both are a little annoyed with some aspects of final cut and we both think that resolve might be better in some ways. And the, so we probably col- just need to try it out. The collaboration features and like the library taking up so much space. And it's just, I feel like resolve has is, is solved a lot of those problems mm-hmm. and it'd be really nice to do a collaborative edit. And not have to like share a library on a hard drive or whatever. I'm I'm starting to get tempted to try doing a Big Ben project and resolve. Yeah, man, I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. That's you're just asking for it. Get like do like do like a little thing. Yeah, and then like do like a I don't know like a highlight video or something that's you know a minute mm-hmm. long. Yeah, and if that works, then okay. then go big. But like maybe you can squeeze in a tiny little video before you do that full edit. I bet I could. I don't know. It's it's pretty tempting. Might have, to, might have to do that. I, yeah, I, I think I'm kind of convinced to give it a go. In that, like, I was, I would did that kind of a vlog supercut of pointing out all the Corvettes, and that would be a perfect use of, of trying it. Yeah, and I think that maybe I'll maybe I'll do that and resolve because I mean I've I basically edited that in Final Cut though, but I can just redo the edit. It's not a big deal. It took me like 30 minutes in the truck, so yeah, woof. Yeah, I don't know. I guess that's maybe that's like that's the thing for next year is like let's try resolve. Maybe we make the switch. 
I don't know. Yeah. I think it, I think we need to try it out. And yeah. See. It's frustrating. I mean, I, the whole reason I got a Mac was so I could use Final Cut. <laughs> I mean, that was like 2016, but yeah. you know, everyone's he's like, I wanted a small light computer, but you like Premiere was too heavy on small and lights at the time. And everyone's like, oh man, Final Cut's so good. It's so optimized. You can run it on whatever. And so I ran it on, a, it was a MacBook Pro with an i5 and 16 gigs of RAM. And it was a trooper. It did totally fine. And I could do all the editing stuff that I needed to up to like 4K 60. It was, you know, there was lighter footage then. Like this 422 10-bit is killing my M1. Yeah. I was editing that. It's XH2S footage. It's, you know, 422 10-bit, 320 megabit per second, H.265. And I'm, you know, have some nested clips and, you know, but it's, it's not a complicated timeline. And I'm like, you, I've used up all my RAM and I'm like 30 gigs into swap. And my computer is like, uh, you need, you need to close some other apps. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, it magenta screen and shut down on wow. yesterday. Wow. Which never happens. And it's, yeah. Uh, I have, I have ex, the, the XH2S footage is, is beyond what the M1 MacBook Air can do. Finally found its limit. Yeah, it I always so. it always felt ridiculous to be able to edit 4K video on a computer without a fan. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised there's a limit. But yeah, so that's, that's I I did think about that with Resolve that it does work on PCs, mm-hmm. so that opens up a world of possibilities. But at the same time, I really like using Macs. Yep. And with the M1 and M2, I feel like the CPU is just as good as most of what you get, you know, in like a laptop yeah. type thing. And I don't know, I'm I'm staying on Mac regardless of which program right. I use, but. But like to finish my finish that thought, I mean, MKBHD, he switched to Mac to use Final Cut to, maybe he was on Mac before, I don't know. But he switched to Final Cut because of the render times. Yeah. And that was the lighter load and the optimization and the render times was the reason that I, I switched operating systems, mm-hmm. which is the whole thing. I mean, I was I was real, you know, like, oh, Macs are dumb, blah, blah, blah. But I was like, I really want to use the software. And so I just made that whole switch. And now, you know, five years later, six years later, it's I guess it's okay to, to move on. Yeah, it's that it's a sunk cost fallacy, right? Like I put all this time learning in this new software, but mm-hmm. maybe there's something better out there, and then I need to give it a shot. Maybe find out next year. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the Camera Gear Podcast. I'm Daniel, and I'm Lucas, and we're back to talk more about the gear side of photo and video. So I think the first thing we want to talk about today was drones, which is something that a lot of people know about and a lot of people talk about. Woo. Um, you would be, uh, as they say in the biz, an expert yes, on drones. Yes, I, I uh, have a YouTube channel where I talk about drones mm-hmm. and I have owned Mavics and such for a few years. You've, you've built a drone or two, right? I've built, yeah, I've built a lot of drones. Didn't yeah. you build like a hexcopter? No, I never did one of those. Is that what that's called? That they do make there are hexcopters. Okay, but, but yeah, I, I didn't do that. I'm not on that level. Um, yeah, so I've been into them for a long time. Uh, you know, and then I, everybody knows about the DJI Phantom and Mavic and all those. But there's been some news in that uh, industry recently with uh, the DJI Avada and some other things. And so right. we thought it might be cool just to kind of go through and talk about. You know, what is the current landscape of DJI drones and drones in general? And kind of what should you look for if you're wanting to get a drone? The new headsets for the Avada, those FPV, first person view goggles seem pretty good. So cool to talk about that. But explain to me how this Avada thing actually like fits or works for the FPV community. Because everything I know about FPVs is like these tiny little drones that aren't crazy expensive. You know, mm-hmm. you could build one for pretty cheap or you can you know, 500 bucks or whatever. And all the parts are replaceable because you're going to break it because you're going to crash into everything. And so it's like this 
you see an FPV and then you see a like a Mavic Air 2S or whatever. It's like a totally different class yeah. of drone, totally mm-hmm. different use case. Mm-hmm. And then DJI's coming in here with this Avada and it's a thousand dollar drone. Yep. And how do like that doesn't seem to it doesn't make sense to me. Like who's flying on a thousand dollar FPV drone that they're gonna crash? Yeah. So I guess before before we talk about that, let's talk about what the difference is between FPV and non FPV just yeah. just to kind of hit me with make it. sure base clear. So normal normal drones that maybe most people are familiar with is what I would call like a camera drone, something like a Mavic where you know you can go buy it at Best Buy or whatever and pull it out of the box and take off and fly and you know get really good photo or video with not much effort. They they basically fly themselves. They basically fly themselves. Yeah, they have GPS, uh they they will hold position by themselves. They'll basically fly themselves. So you have a little controller in your hand and you can tell it to go up or down, go forward and backward. It's like playing a video game, but they're very easy to fly. And I mean, we see people using them for travel and, you know, whatever, you know, with, with no effort whatsoever. You watch the view from that drone on like a phone. So you have your phone clamped into the controller and you can see what the drone sees. And I mean, I think most people listening to this are, are pretty familiar with this idea. Like, get on with it. Yeah. And so on the other hand. I've heard of a drone before. Uh-huh. And so on the other hand, FPV drones, typically you would wear goggles and basically it's you see what the drone sees and you're in more direct control of the drone. So you have the controller in your hands and you can steer it around and fly it. And every move you make of the sticks is causing that drone to move, you know, in whatever direction. And there's a lot fewer safety features and a lot fewer automatic hovering features and things like that. And so it's more like you're a bird flying around and you can go up and down and you can do flips and rolls and you have a lot more direct control of the drone, which is, you know, good and bad because it means that you can make cool movements and do cool things with it, but you're also at a much greater risk of crashing and you could get yourself into trouble more quickly and it requires a lot more skill to fly. And typically faster. I know that you can fly a, a Mavic or whatever, 40 miles an hour, but mm-hmm. you can take an FPV from zero to a hundred in, in a few seconds. Yeah. 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 You can, you can go very fast with them, which is cool, but you know, again, you can get yourself Dangerous. into trouble very easily. Uh, and there's this whole hobby around that. And so, you know, you have, you have consumer products, like we're going to talk about the DJI stuff soon, but there's also this whole hobby around building these things and people that race them and customize them. And it's, it's this whole thing. And you can get ones that are as small as fitting in the palm of your hand all the way up to these massive things that are much larger than a Mavic. And so it's this whole range of right. Well, like things. they, they have them built for, for shooting movies, mm-hmm. the, the movie Ambulance with yep. Michael Bay has a lot of FPV footage in it, and they're they're running a red camera on an FPV drone, which absolutely nuts. Like yeah. that thing crashes, you're out ten grand. Yeah, yeah, forty grand. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's kind of gone from you know back in maybe 2015 or 2016, it was really just at a hobby level, and there were people flying these things around for fun and adapting things from the rest of the technology world to make drones. Like actually, the first drones were built using the, the inside parts of a Wiimote. What? So like a Nintendo Wii has an accelerometer in it, and that was what people were using as like the control system for uh, for the first drones. That so, that's nuts. So it's come a long way from that, you know. And now people are using it for professional work and and all this stuff. So just real quick, like. An FPV drone is still not a quadcopter. There is there is a microcontroller in there that's like doing the balancing and the leveling and that sort of thing. But if you don't give it any control input, it's just going to fall out of the sky. 
Well, so it depends. Most of the ones you buy now, it has a microcontroller in it that's that's telling it, you know, what orientation it's in, whether it's upright or not. And most of them do have like an auto level functionality where it'll stay upright. And they don't usually have GPS, so they won't hold their position. But typically it's not just going to completely fall out of the sky if you let off of the controls. Okay. Uh, but they they just have a lot fewer, you know, safety features and flying assistance features than what you would get. Yeah, like it's not going to auto stop or beep at you when you get close yeah. to a tree. It's just going to let you hit it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But maybe that's what you wanted. Yeah. And it's just, they require a lot more skill to fly. I don't think it's something people should be afraid of, but you wouldn't want to buy an $800 FPV drone and just go out and start flying at 100 miles an hour without practicing. Well, it seems like what DJI has done with the Avada is they've made it more consumer accessible to get yep. into FPV. Because mm-hmm. from what I know, you know, up to this point, it's like, I, yeah, I'm interested in trying FPV, and I've, I've done a little bit. But to me, it's it's one it's it's like photography or computers or whatever. Where like, oh, I need to know like how many volts these motors take, and like what kind of battery, and just like how many like what does the voltage on the battery have to be to charge it, and like where to store them so they don't explode, and whenever I break a propeller, like what's the right thing, and I have to learn about. Um, hold on, let's see if I can remember from watching your videos. Um, nope, can't remember. I, <laughs> I have to like know all of these, yeah. like, these. It's just a whole world. It's like it a is. completely yeah. different hobby, and I have to like spend the mental time and energy to like learn it and like know everything about building these things just to fly them. Yeah. But like, if you're gonna crash and break them, you need to know how to put it back together. And it's a really cool hobby for that. But I feel like the person who's gonna go out and buy an Avada maybe isn't necessarily the same person who's building a Cinewhoop. Yeah. Yeah. I think whatever that is. I think that's very true for me being involved in FPV, it's, it has been hard to do it without knowing all that stuff. So I, I had to learn all those things because when you crash, you want to be able to fix it. And you also kind of learn that whenever you want to get something specific, you end up having to build it rather than buy it because they don't make a product exactly for what you want. So mm-hmm. it is really hard to be involved in it and not know all that stuff. And DJI has been trying to change that. So they came out with the DJI FPV drone a year or two ago. It was uh, 2020 or 2021. And then more recently, very recently, they came out with the Avada, which is mm-hmm. their kind of next generation uh, FPV drone. And so they are trying to sort of bring it to where it's more accessible to a casual audience. And what sets the Avada apart is that it does still have some of those safety features. So you do still have obstacle sensing uh, sensors on it. So it's going to try to you know, keep you from running into things. One really cool thing they've done is it has an auto stop or not an auto stop, but it has like a mm-hmm. brake button, like an emergency brake. Nice. And so there's a button on the controller where you can press that button and it'll immediately stop in the air and ride itself and then just stand still. Cool. And so if you feel like you're into trouble and you don't have control of it anymore, you can press that button and it'll just kind of stop what it's doing, which is not something you can get on a home-built FPV drone. Do, do you know how, how fast it can go? I can't remember how fast it can go. Um, that would be something good to look up, I guess. According to the internet, 60 miles per hour. So it can go 60 miles an hour. That's, that's pretty good. That's, you know, you could keep up with a car at that speed as long as it's not racing down a track. Yeah. So it's pretty capable. Nice. And Mavics go like 40, I think. So yeah, something like that. Yeah, depending on wind conditions. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this is a camera podcast, right? So we got, you got, you got a camera nerd coming in and they want to get that sweet FPV footage. Cause like you, you can't even get something like that with a, with just a regular drone, like a, like a camera, you know, I'm going to say a camera drone, but you know, something like a Mavic Air or a Mavic, you know, Pro, mm-hmm. Mavic 3 Pro or whatever. You, you just can't get that same footage. You have to fly FPV, which means that you have to have the goggles and the drone and whatever and the skill set to fly it. 
but like what kind of what kind of footage are you getting out of on Avada and are you better off like buying an A6400 and strapping it to a homemade <laughs> FPV? I mean it feels like that would cost about the same. It's just a very it wouldn't cost it'd be more expensive to do the the 6400 thing but okay. it's just a very different market in my mind. So I mean, people are using FPV stuff for a lot of professional work. You, you mentioned uh, the movie Ambulance. They have it. Uh, you also see it at F1 races now. So Oh, yeah, for sure. You see the FPV footage of flying around the track. They've got that. It has a lot of that same, it feels like that same buzz or spark that the like original drone footage had. Because mm-hmm. before consumer drones came out, if you wanted an air shot, you're going to have to rent a helicopter. Yep. And the cost of like renting a helicopter versus flying a drone overhead mm-hmm. is it's like this huge drop in, yeah. in cost for your for your home video or your your you know indie film project or whatever. And like the FPV thing, it's it feels like just the next step of that where it's this type of shot that was impossible. Yep. You know, 15 years ago. Yep. And so if you're Michael Bay making a movie or you're F1, you know, wanting FPV footage at your race, you're hiring a person or a company that that is what they do. And they've probably built their own drones and they've attached, you know, some professional camera to it. And, and they're, they're using some custom built thing. So, you know, that's even more similar to like the hobby stuff I do where you're, you're building everything yourself. Right. So the, like at the hobby level, you got the professional Mm -hmm. level, very but the, similar, but, and then somewhere in between is mm-hmm. this. And there is this big in-between thing because FPV footage has also gotten really popular for doing tours of inside buildings or yeah. for real estate. Mm-hmm. And you see a lot of that now. We could probably put some uh, some videos in the uh, show notes for sure. people who want to see. But it's gotten really popular now to take a drone that has you know protection around the props to where you can fly it inside that's something called a cinewoop and it's gotten popular to fly that through a house and kind of make this like cool cinematic tour through a house and i think that especially like for really high-end properties realtors are starting to want that because it's just an extra thing and it's something that people appreciate and enjoy seeing and it sets that property apart yeah and it's it's something where you're like oh i could get this on a gimbal but then all of a sudden you're flying to the second floor Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's you can't do that with gimbal necessarily. Yep. And so you have this whole new category of things where you have people that are doing it for money, they're getting paid for it. And so they're, you know, professional photographers in that way, but they're not at the point that they're going to want to sit, you know, at their workbench in the evening, soldering motors, you know, they, they don't want to be an FP hobbyist. They don't want to be an expert in FPV. They just want to use it as a tool to do their job. But you're still not going to fly an Avada inside a house, are you? No, you certainly could. Yeah, that's, really? that's one of the big things that's that's new about the Avada is that it's the first DJI drone that you can actually fly indoors. No. So it has downward facing sensors, so it can tell how far it is off the floor. And it has prop guards on it. So if you bump into a wall or something, you know, it's not going to scrape up your wall. And yeah, you can you can absolutely fly it inside. How big is this thing? It's pretty small. So it's it's smaller than something like a Mavic. Is it as big as a Mavic Mini? It might be. It's heavier uh, than a Mavic Mini, I think. But, sure. But it, in terms of actual physical size, it's very small. You could easily fly it inside a house. That is cool. Yeah. So you have this this Avada thing. It's it's more accessible for people who don't want to learn what the words uh, Express LRS mean. And they want to get into FPV. like, But they're doing it because they, they want that footage, right? And like, if you're building your own thing, maybe you're strapping a GoPro to it or mm-hmm. whatever. That's probably the what most people are doing yeah, that's to get right. the best footage. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, what kind of what kind of video specs are we talking about here? Is it as good as like so? Like, at the top of your line, you got your DJI Mavic Pro, whatever Cine. 
that costs a bajillion dollars, but it has a one inch sensor and it looks looks great. Yeah. And then like the Air 2S, I feel like is a good halfway point of mm-hmm. it has a half inch sensor. You know, you, you get pretty fantastic footage, 4K, all this stuff. And then you can even do the, you know, the Air 2, which has a 48 quad bear and you can get really great 48 megapixel stacked, you know, yep. HDR photos and whatever. Is this, is the Avada like in the class of the Air 2? Is it better? Is it worse? Is it more like the previous Gen Mavics? What do you, what do you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm going to guess it's, it's closer to something like the Air 2. So okay. it has a one over 1.7 inch sensor. So a little bit bigger than a half inch sensor. Okay. It can do 4K 60. It has very good stabilization. I mean, in terms of FPV, it's not going to be as good as a GoPro, but it's be- right. it's definitely better than not having a GoPro, and it's so much simpler than that. The you, sensor you size is basically the same. Mm-hmm. So if you're mm-hmm. if you're only concerned about like what is the physical light gathering capabilities, yeah. I don't know what the megapixel counts are, but it's going to be GoPro is probably going to be a little better. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Go GoPros will definitely look better. I mean, having seen the footage side by side, GoPros look better than this, but it's just so much simpler because you don't have this extra camera on top of the drone. You don't have to think about where it's pointed because one problem you have if you put a GoPro on is you want the GoPro to be pointed the exact same way that the right. that the camera you're flying with is and but you don't have to case, deal with any of that the camera you're flying is the yeah. camera that you're capturing mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. yeah and i mean overall the footage looks really good i think if you know if you're michael bay shooting a movie you're not going to use this you're oh, going to want to use a, a cinema camera but for people doing basic real estate stuff or if somebody's traveling and they want to get cool fpv shots of their travels i mean something like this is going to be more than sufficient and honestly it's it's cheaper than what you could get even home built. If you were to try and build a Cinewoop yourself and put a GoPro on it and all that, you would be basically at the same price. Now, if you're if you're a hobbyist and you already have a lot of the equipment for other reasons, so if, like, let's say you do drone racing or something, if you do that and then you want to add on a Cinewoop, then maybe it's going to be a little bit cheaper because you've already got goggles and controller and all that. But if you're just starting from zero and you you know you want to do some real estate Cinewoop videos. I don't see how you go with anything other than this. It just seems like it gives you everything you need. It's going to be reliable and work well. And honestly, the price is pretty competitive for all that. Yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm, I'm looking at the video specs here and trying to find an air Two S spec page. Oh, okay. It is one half. So it is like you said, it's a slightly bigger pixel compared to the air Two, not the air Two S. So bigger sensor means a different sensor. Uh, However, with a sensor that size and knowing having flown, you know, these DJI drones, anything over like ISO 200 gets super, super noisy. Yeah. And you can, you can basically clean it up, but it looks like the Avada doesn't have log. So like the Air 2S mm-hmm. is significantly bigger sensor and it supports the DJI log profile. So you can get the flatter image, you can do the grades and whatever. So it's definitely, it's definitely not Air 2S quality. Um, but maybe it's slightly better in low light than the Air 2 with just because yeah, of a slightly so. bigger sensor. Yeah. Uh, less. No, it's still 48 megapixels. So I assume it's, assume it's quad bear. I would not assume that it's good in low light. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Is like if you're shooting real estate, you're going to have to shoot it at, at noon with all the all the windows open and turn all the lights on. And then maybe it's going to be bright yeah. enough to shoot it at F200. Mm-hmm. But the dynamic range on this was probably only going to be 11 stops, if I had to guess. Yeah. And that's, that is a total guess, but it's, it's probably in that range. And with, I don't know how you shoot real estate with this and it look 
good without blasting all the lights. Well, but keep in mind that people do this with GoPros, and the GoPro is also not good in low light. Probably True. has a similar sensor size. We we tested the 11 at higher ISOs, and it did not look good. Yeah, I guess you could shoot in whatever, like the HDR mode, mm-hmm. which these DJIs do have, and it's similar to your phone where it takes the multiple exposures. Yeah. And those HDR video, so mm-hmm. that's, pr- that's probably what you do. Yeah, and I, and do you think it's normal to turn lights on when you do real estate? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like any time of real estate stuff, you turn on every light, mm-hmm. you know, bring in as much light as you can because, I mean, you're shooting your photos at F8 or F9, so... Yeah. It's kind of the same deal, I guess, where you're used to dealing with, you know, the ISO limitations of your camera. One thing you mentioned uh, that that maybe we should cover a little bit more is, you know, the price concerns about something like. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like you're going to crash it, right? Especially if you're new to FPV Mm -hmm. and you're getting into this thing. Like how how robust is it to run it into a pole? (laughs) So apparently it's. It's fairly robust. Um, you know, people have crashed them like onto the ground, you know, like like fall out of the sky or whatever, and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and crash onto grass. And it's survived quite a bit of that. DJI has also made this one a lot more repairable than some of their previous drones. So that was yeah. one, that was one problem people had with the previous DJI FPV drone was that if you crashed and broke an arm, it was like you had to send it to DJI and get a replacement. It was you know, it was no not repairable whatsoever. Eesh. And now they've made the Avato so that you can buy the frame by itself or the prop guards by themselves. And so you can actually swap out those parts if you need to. And so you do have that ability at least to repair it. I mean, you do fly this, this sort of thing differently than what, you know, than like an FPV hobbyist would fly their drone. You're not really going to get an Avada and do flips with it. You're not going to be trying to race through like smaller and smaller gaps between trees or fly under a park bench or, you know, at a high speed or whatever. I mean, I can't, I can't do like a full loop. I mean, what's it called? Is that called a Cine whoop? No, that's a drone. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you can do stuff like that and, and the drone will let you do it if you put it in the full manual mode. Okay. Any sort of Cine whoop style drone like this is just not really made for that kind of thing. I mean, if you think about these people putting GoPros on them and stuff, most of the time they're not trying to go crazy with it. You know, you don't really want to crash your drone and, and break a GoPro. And so something like this is not not made for that necessarily, but you can take more risks with it than you would with something like a Mavic. And it is going to be a little bit more durable than, right. you know, if you take your Mavic and slam it into a tree, it's going to destroy <laughs> it. Yeah. Game over. Yeah. And it does have those safety features too. So you can put it in some say like some safer flying modes where if you're about to run into something, it'll stop or, you know, you do have that emergency brake button. And so I think that if you're not trying to crash it, I think it does pretty good at preventing you from getting into too much trouble. So do you think that, DJI is hitting the market here for the people who were it, like it's it's clearly aiming at people who don't want to build their own FPV stuff or uh, learn what CineWoop or Express LRS are, mm-hmm. and then they don't they're not on the high end thing of where they're doing it commercially, and so they're slotting right down the middle there for someone who needs a, wants to pick up a drone and is familiar enough with like flying controls and wearing goggles that they they feel like they could do it. Yep. I mean, do you think that this is this is serving that market well enough, and that you know it's not necessarily like a money grab because people are going to buy it and then crash them immediately. Yeah, I I think it is a good product and I think it does hit a good market. You know, it's not cheap. The batteries are expensive. Batteries are over 100 bucks each, which for F- FPV is is pretty high. So I mean, there there's there are still reasons to go the FPV hobby route, but I think this is really compelling for people that don't want to do that. And I think it looks good. I mean, honestly, even though I have Cinewoops and can build them themselves, build them myself, I want to get one. I think it I okay. think it looks great. Give me give me a cost comparison. If I was going to do like 
HD zero or wh- whatever those buzzwords are, or get like a, a Cinewhoop that mm-hmm. I can bump into walls in my house and then yep. slap a, a, a GoPro bones on it. Yeah. Like how much, how much am I in compared to this? Well, you can, you can actually compare it straight across because you can get DJI stuff that you can use on hobby drones. Nice. Uh, so you can get the DJI goggles and you can get cameras and, and all that. Like, I mean, do they run on the same wireless communication protocol? They, they can. Yeah. Very so, cool. Let's see. So you'd need a radio. It's about a hundred bucks. Let's say the, the Cinewhoop itself with all the, all the parts and everything would be maybe 400 or so for something that could carry a GoPro. Sure. So you're up to 500. The goggles would be maybe four or $500. Let's, okay. Let's call it 500. Does the Avada come with the goggles? Well, they're kits that you can get. There, okay. So got it. So I'm up to a thousand on my thing, and then you need the GoPro. Oh, um, so the GoPro is another 500. 1500. 1500, and then you need you know just like random little things like you need batteries, battery charger, sure. all that stuff. I, I don't know. Let's call that another 150 bucks of accessories. Sure. So you're up to 1650 there. So uh, it, it costs the same. So like if you you can you can get an Avada or you can go deep in on. Mm-hmm. Uh, building your own your own yeah. deal and like advantage of building your own deals like when it breaks you can start swapping out those pieces you mm-hmm. don't have to buy new goggles don't buy new yeah. um, whatever but i guess if you bought the avada and you were really into it and you're like now i want to build um a little tiny baby drone or whatever you could use the goggles again you can you use, use some of the, some and, of the same stuff yeah so the the dji hobby fpv stuff does not work on the smallest drones it's, okay. it's a little bit too big for that but, but you can still build you know pretty small pretty small things with it and I mean, yeah, I think that's that's where the difference would be. So, so I guess the the Avada right now is eleven sixty eight. Uh, if you want goggles and a controller, and then the Flymore kits, you can get some extra batteries. Is two eighty. So what is I that mean, like? That's like fourteen hundred. And it, and so yeah, the price is compa- is is comparable there. I think the Avada is going to be like an easier out out of the box experience. And so the reasons you would go the hobby route, one is that you get a GoPro. You know, we were factoring in a $500 GoPro. You can right. use that GoPro off of the drone. So that's sure. that's an advantage. And then, yeah, the other thing would be if you thought you might want to do like some drone racing or if you want like a little drone just to fly around your house for fun or to learn or whatever, then that's going to be a lot like the incremental cost of that is going to be a lot cheaper if you've bought, you know, like the hobby level stuff sure. uh, to start with. So like it's, it's cheaper if you're building up to something of the class of a Nevada. Mm-hmm. But if you wanted to just get your start, find out if it's something that you like, have something that totally works and you're not having to troubleshoot, it sounds like you can get in the door for less than $1,200, like yep. just underneath or mm-hmm. after tax, $1,200. Mm-hmm. And then you can reuse the controller and the goggles, which is a $500 investment. And now really the drone's only costing you, you know, 600 700 yeah. bucks mm-hmm. and that's what it would have got you to build something equivalent that can fly as fast and carry as much and look yep. as good yep yep and they do sell the drone by itself it's about 630 dollars really if you just need the drone i mean that this i don't know man this this it's actually pretty... seems really price competitive compared to the compared yeah. to what's out there it, it i thought is. it was yeah. i thought it was way different i thought we were talking like 500 dollars between Cobia no. stuff and, and the Avada stuff and you, mm-hmm. clearly I'm not in this world. You know, and like I said, if you're if you're comparing to a GoPro, you know, I, I think I said five hundred for the GoPro, which you know be like a GoPro eleven, that footage is gonna look a little bit better than the Avada. Sure. But depending on what you're doing, that may not matter. And then but then you also have to like calibrate the the direction that it's pointing and all that mm-hmm. sort of thing. For you, like you have everything that you could use to fly this. I mean the goggles are probably more appealing to you and the controller probably is I mean you might be happy with the controller, I have no idea. But you, you could, you yourself could grab a, a just the Avada drone yep. and mm-hmm. and roll with it. 
Well, and, and for me, I have a Cinewoop, but I don't have a GoPro. Right. And so if I think about it, I'm like, I could buy a GoPro for four fifty, you know, whatever the sale price is right now. I could buy that and I could put that on my Cinewoop. Sure. But I could just spend another 200 bucks and get this whole other drone, you know, that has all these safety features and I could let somebody else fly it and they'd probably have a good time. Like that's, that's, a, it's that's a tough call. Cause like yeah. the GoPro is, is a wildly more useful as a camera utility than yeah. a single use drone piece of equipment. Yep. But it is kind of appealing if you, mm-hmm. if you just need that really good looking FPV footage. Yep. Or just regular good. I guess really good would be way more expensive. You know, and I mean, the other thing is like, I don't think that this is the only DJI drone people should buy, right? Sure. Like, like FPV footage is very different than what you get with a camera drone. And I think it's important to, to note that if what you imagine getting is um, hovering far off in the distance and I'm taking like an aerial shot of a house or something like that, FPV is not the right tool for that job. No. Like it's it's a more dynamic type of filming. Like you're, and you're not you're even going to like and all shoehorn that. it into that look. Mm-hmm. This is this is like you. it's first person view yeah. moving through a space. If what you want is a Mavic, then you need to get a Mavic. Right. Uh, and But neither of these tools can do the other's job. So like the Avada can do FPV. Mavic can't really do no. FPV. And vice versa. And like for all the commenters out there, they're fully aware that there's an FPV mode in the Mavic controls where it will tilt the body as you turn, but still very, very different. Yeah, it doesn't look quite the same. You're never going to be able to fly it through a house. Like oh, I don't geez. even think the drone will let you fly it through a house. I think I, I think I can maybe. Do it. I, well, once you lose GPS lock, it gets really upset. Yeah. And and then if you crash it, like it's game over. Yep. I did fly my Mavic through one of those FPV circle things once. Yeah, you did. And then I, and then I crashed it. Yep, yep. Yep. I remember. I think that, you know, just to kind of cover all the bases, I do think we should maybe take a look at the whole DJI lineup and talk about what we think about the camera drones. Well, yeah. Like, so you were talking about the Vada and like, if you are looking for FPV stuff, like that's, it's a pretty good option. But if you're looking for just drone footage, I mean, which of those, you know, DJI drones are you, are you looking at or are you looking at one of the other brands? I feel like DJI basically owns the space what's the name of that other one starts with an a auto yeah Auto mm. makes really good stuff too yeah but i feel like the the best drone for most people is probably a dji mini yeah pro- probably so i mean their lineup has changed a lot over time because a couple of years ago i would have said the air 2 mm-hmm. i would have said that was the best and the first mavic minis that came out i, I actually had the first version of that and I really wasn't that impressed with it. I loved how small it was, but it could not handle the wind. Right. It was underpowered. It only worked on Wi-Fi, so you had like limited range, and it was okay. But the mm-hmm. Mini 2 with the radios and the higher power motors, it, it, I mean, that's a that's a pretty great drone. Yeah, it's it's definitely gotten better. You know, now they have a Mini Pro 3. Oh, they do? Yeah. And honestly, I think for most people- Did, did for, that just come out? Not just come out. It's been, you know, a couple of months at least. But Okay. I, I honestly think that's the one that I would suggest most people get. Yeah, you know, some of this stuff's gotten more expensive. So the Mini Pro 3 is $760 in the US. If you want the Flymore kit with regular batteries, it's an extra $190. So you're looking at, you know, right around $1,000, which is pretty high. But honestly, it looks really good. You get a 1 over 1.3 inch sensor. So that's getting close to a. That's- to, Pretty, that's pretty sensor. good. That's bigger than what's in the uh, Air 2. Mm-hmm. It can do 4K HDR or 4K 60 video. Nice. And with that regular battery, it gets a 34-minute flight time. 
which is really good. Wow. You can get bigger batteries, though, and the bigger batteries get 47-minute flight and time. And if you put the bigger battery in it, it pushes it over that 249-gram weight limit. Yeah. So if you're kind of riding on the fact that you're flying somewhere maybe you shouldn't be or you don't have the FAA regulation if you're in the U.S. or the stamp or sticker or whatever because it's not registered, like Mm -hmm. putting a bigger battery in it basically puts you in violation. Yeah, so you have to decide whether you want to do that or not. But even with the regular batteries, though, you know, 34-minute flight time is really good. It is really good. The It's still very small. Um, it's smaller than a Mavic Air. So, I mean, that's probably the one the one I would go with. I mean, I don't... Like, the Air 2S is really cool, and it, it probably shoots better video, but I don't know if it's better enough to justify getting it over mm-hmm. the Mini Pro 3, 3 Pro just for the, the accessibility. Yeah. Like, if you get this thing and the standalone controller, that is, that is a really small package. Mm-hmm. Super easy to carry around. You can you don't have to necessarily worry about am I okay flying here or not because you're under the weight limit yep. for the regulations, and so you can you can basically do more with mm-hmm. it because it's kind of deemed as like a toy. But you're gonna get as good as a good as footage mm-hmm. as something as an air probably better than Air Two, not quite Air Two S. Yeah, it seems like they've they've finally gotten the mini where it needed to be mm-hmm. to where it's a, a really good tool. Now you have an Air Two. I do. I would I would consider selling and buying this Mini Pro Three though. This seems really slick and the air 2 i couldn't tell if it's still being produced it, it seemed like it was out of stock on dji's site yeah well they they, they shipped the air 2 and the air 2s kind of six months apart and as like a tic-tac to each other where one could do higher you know 240 frames per second recording and could take you know the 48 megapixel stills because it had the quad bear in it mm-hmm. and then the air 2s was like here's a bigger sensor more resolution can shoot five point whatever k yeah but it doesn't shoot you know more than 120 frames per second yeah yeah and, and i have the air 2s right it has a one inch sensor it has a 10-bit color with a log profile, which is really nice. And I mean, between between your Air 2 and my Air 2S, I do feel like I can tell the quality difference. Yeah, me too. And the, the, the Air 2S is more expensive, so it's $1,000. Or if you want the Fly More, which if you buy one of these drones, you want more than one battery. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, the, fly, the Fly More is a total of $1,300. It's so basically almost always worth it to, to get the Fly More combo. Yeah, yeah. So Air 2S... Fly more thirteen hundred dollars. Mini Pro three with Fly more is about a thousand dollars. So it's a three hundred dollar difference, and the Air two S is bigger. I think that just depends on how much you want to spend and whether you need the smallest possible drone. Okay, so like kind of just backing off a bit and not just listing like everything that DJI makes. Mm-hmm. Um, so like what their current like lineup is. You're coming into DJI. You don't know anything about it. They have like the Pro line, which they have significantly. Uh, differentiated by price and uh, capability. Yeah, and those Ma- are, that's the Mavic 3 Pro. Yeah, the Mavic 3 Pro and the Mavic 3 Pro Cine, mm-hmm. which that one has a terabyte of storage built into it <laughs> yeah. or something. It, and those are like, what, $3,000 or yeah. something? They're, they are Very way high. up there. Yep. And they're, they've, they've separated it out as like, you better be serious about this mm-hmm. um, or just give us your money because you don't care and you want the best thing. And then obviously like they have the, you know, for anybody level, which is the mini, and that one's probably the one that most people should get. And then somewhere in the middle here, they have the Air, and then they just released the Maverick, Mavic 3 Classic. Yep. And so, like, what, I guess, like, I, I understand completely where, you know, the Vada sits and where the Mini Pro 3 sits and where the Mavic Pro sits. But, like, with this Mavic 3 Classic and the Air 2 and the Air 2S, I mean, I don't understand the function. Like, what are those for? That's a that's a really good question, honestly. Like, it, Are they just like the air? You could probably chalk the Air Two and the Air Two S up to being old drones in the mm-hmm. lineup. And DJI is rumored to have an event like 
whatever announcement on the 13th of December. Oh, okay. And maybe they're going to come out with a new Air. I don't know. Some of the rumors said maybe another Mini, but that would be weird because they just came out. They could launch a new Inspire because they haven't done a new Inspire for years. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also talk of like a Mini FPV. It's hard to know. I mean, because it, it seems like the middle kind of fell out of this market. Where yeah. The, the lower end ones got so good that mm-hmm. for most people, that's good enough. Right. And then on the high end, people are willing to pay whatever price to get the best possible thing. Right. So that's where you hit, end up with your three or $5,000 drones. But yeah, it's like in this 13 to $2,000 price range, it's like, why do you buy one? You know, why, why are you going to spend $1,600 instead of $1,000? And I think that's a little bit less clear. Yeah, it's I don't I don't get it. I guess it looks like the Mavic 3 has a four thirds sensor. Is that like micro four thirds? It is not an interchangeable lens. But it's thing. it's still a four third size sensor. Yes, yes. So it's larger than a one inch. <clears throat> so that's pretty interesting. That Mavic 3 classic that came out, you know, it's a yeah, lot it's at. a lot 40, cheaper. Forty six minute flight time. Mm-hmm. It's a lot cheaper than the uh than the Mavic three pro. Which mm-hmm. I think they may just call the Mavic Three now. I'm not sure. They do have a Mavic Three, but for 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 all confusion, they yeah, have a Mavic Three and a Mavic Three Classic, and they sell both. So the the primary difference is that the Mavic Three non Classic has two different focal lengths. So there's basically two cameras on it. Oh, okay. There's a there's a 24 millimeter wide camera, and then there's some sort of I don't remember what the focal length is, but there's a zoomed in one. The Mavic 3 Classic only has that wide one, so it okay. only has the 24 mil. Got it. Mm-hmm. That that four third sensor, yeah. and that one's two thousand bucks. Yeah. And let's point out though that the Mavic 3 Classic is extremely expensive because yeah. the drone itself is sixteen hundred dollars. Oh wait, well it doesn't come up with any of the other cool stuff. The Flymore kit is an additional six hundred and fifty dollars. What? And then you don't even get ND filters. And the ND filters are an additional hundred and thirty dollars. So if you want, if you want everything to actually enjoy using and flying that drone, you're looking at like twenty four hundred dollars. Wow! Holy cow! So that's it's it's a thousand dollar bump from the Air Two S. Yeah, yeah. Holy cow! And, and I just have a really hard time picturing a situation where I would want to pay that. Yeah, yeah. I would tend to agree. It does have adjustable aperture, which is nice. You can go f2.8 to f11. You can't do that on the lower end ones, but I don't know. I just, I feel like if I'm not doing professional work to where I want like the Mavic 3 Cine or something, then right. why am I not just using an Air 2S? Yeah. Yeah. And, but like if you're using an Air 2S, the, it's not a far cry from the, the mini three pro. Yeah, and I guess those are you know four hundred dollars difference in price, but that's a, that's a pretty good chunk of change. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like the uh, the Air Two S is getting long in the tooth, and the Mavic Classic is a nice in between. You get that four third size sensor. Yeah. Um, but I would, I mean, I would jump, I would jump over in the line. I would say either like you're coming in, you're getting a, I guess like you just said, you have you spend a thousand bucks to get the Mavic Three Classic. But if you have, if you, I guess you can't really you use the same batteries either. Like you have to get those specific batteries or you have to get, you mean maybe you already have the controller or whatever, I and mean, you can re, you can use those controllers with you know, yeah. other drones. But yeah, still. D- DJI has started to learn that sometimes people have a drone uh, and, you know, want to get another one or they already have a controller. And so now you can buy a lot of these without the controller. You can buy the Mini 3 Pro without the controller, which is kind of a neat deal. Like if you want just, just the Mini Pro 3, you can get, uh, it's like 670 and you can just, 
add that to your collection. You know, so like I have the Air 2S, I could spend 670 and get a Mini Pro 3 and it would work. Well, that's that's pretty cool. Conveniently cheap. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Yep. Kind of kind of the same way I feel about the Avada yep. because I already have the I already have the goggles. I don't know if I would need a different controller, but still, you know, it's like you pay a little over 600 bucks and you get this whole other drone. It's pretty cool. Man. I guess I I guess I don't need that in my life. <laughs> the Mavic 3 Cine Premium combo is $5,000. Oh my gosh. Wow. So I was going to ask you, I mean, I don't think we need to debate the uses of drones no. necessarily in this podcast. I think people listening know whether it's something they want or know what they would use it for. And we've all seen travel videos with drones and all that. We, we all understand that. But I'm curious for you, what would you do? Do you want a Nevada? Do you think the FPV stuff would be fun? Or do you want a Mini Pro 3? I mean, what do you see fitting into your life? Yeah, so I like the Avada a lot. I, I want to get into FPV. I find it really interesting. I like playing video games and stuff, and so I feel like I have a good grasp of like the controls and like how it would feel to fly something like that. I know that it's different because you actually have you know whatever weight and stuff to it, but getting FPV type shots and like flying a little more risky appeals to me, mm-hmm. and not having to learn how to send a whoop or to HD zero or Express Express LRS. It is also appealing to me. And so, and then the price seems, seems basically right. So I like the Avada for that, but it's also very specific. And most of the time when I'm getting drone stuff, I want it as like, you know, additional B-roll or whatever for a video that I'm making. And I would rather have to not deal with, I mean, I'm going to do it anyway, because it's the right thing to do. But like, you know, you're looking at before you fly and you're looking at, you know, you're, you're, airman maps and all that stuff just to make sure that you're not flying somewhere you shouldn't be or you're not in a weird zone but you know sometimes that stuff is a little more aggressive than it needs to be and like you're like there's nothing above me i'm gonna fly 100 feet up in the air get the shot and it's gonna be safe it's gonna be fine i'm watching it it's not gonna fly out of my sight and being able to just do that with something that weighs less than 250 grams and not be worried about the faa rolling up in their black sedans and throwing you in the back and you know taking you to faa jail which is actually an airplane that flies around the earth with padded walls <laughs> and they just go up and down and you just smack against the sides and they're yeah. like, are you going to do it again? You're like, no, please, no. You're going to fly again. No, no, please, no. <laughs> so that's not going to happen with a Mavic Pro Mini. If I was starting from zero, that's what I would buy. But having flown the Air 2S and like getting just really phenomenal footage out of it, but also noticing sometimes the detail just isn't quite what you want it to be. That's always my thing with drones is that they look great from a distance, but you do not want to try and crop in or, you know, zoom into, you know, 300% or whatever. It just falls apart. It does. It's like, it's like a phone, you know, phone cameras. Anything above ISO 100 is just really noisy. Mm -hmm. And it was a, it was a very notable difference from the Mavic original to the air 2s. As far as like, if you look at trees where you have a lot of fine movement and the, camera and all this stuff it's like it's doing it's doing compression right it's doing h.265 or h.264 compression where it's like comparing two images and then it's only saving the differences between the two and the algorithm and whatever and compressing the video and the way that the dji is doing that with that smaller sensor and like the resolution of the glass and the resolution of the sensor and like all the compression with the leaves and everything if you're like flying over something and you have a lot of like foliage below you even still with air 2s it can get it can get really messy yeah it's kind of kind of muddy looking Yeah, and just not look great. And so if you have like something that is very detailed or busy or has a lot of movement with it in the shadows with these drones that have less than a one sensor, it just doesn't look great. And you kind of have to like hide it or cut around it or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so for the stuff that I shoot, something like a Mavic, Mavic 3 Classic or whatever that has that fourth or 
I mean, I want the biggest sensor I can get in a drone. Right. Because I know that like light gathering, maybe not so much of an issue. You're, you're up in the air flying in the daylight or whatever, but sometimes you're going to fly, you know, just before twilight or just before civil twilight and get, you know, here's the sunlight or I need the dynamic range to like boost the shadows later because I'm shooting like the bright sky and the, the ground below. And so you have these huge dynamic range scenes and it's just, I always feel like the shots that I want to get with a drone are pushing the limits of the drone's camera. Mm-hmm. So I would want to spend as little money as I could to get the best camera that I could. <laughs> you don't say. Yeah. So I guess like <laughs> if you can fly a Mavic 3 Classic with the same controller and everything that comes with the Mini Pro 3. I think you can. There, to me, there is a there is room for both of like I need to get the best footage or I need something that I can just fly. Yeah. And then the Avada is a completely different class. So it's like, for me, I can see a use case of owning all three of those, <laughs> but I'm never going to buy all three. Yeah. So like, if I had to, had to pick one, I'd probably pick the mini pro just cause it's more versatile mm-hmm. and I don't have to worry about so much if I'm you know breaking the law or anything. And also it just, it'll fit in more bags. I have to agree. I mean, the FPV stuff is really cool, but it's never going to be as casual. You know, you can go on a trip and you can have something like a like an Air 2 or whatever, and you can take off and you can fly it around and you can be chatting with the people around you. It doesn't require 100% focus. You can probably do it before you've had your morning coffee. You cannot fly an FPV drone and communicate with the people around you. I mean, it, it requires full attention and you're wearing goggles on your face. So you can't see anything. And it just requires a lot more focus. Like to me, it's not as relaxing as flying a camera drone around. Well, yeah, you need to have a more iron stomach. You got to have someone watching your back. So no one's like, you know, painting pictures on you or whatever, <laughs> and like trolling you or and make sure you're not like stumbling off a cliff or something. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's, it's, that's just a good rule for a lot of this stuff. Don't walk and look down at the same time. Yeah. I, I think I agree. The mini pro three looks really cool. I think I would have been tempted to get it over the air two S if it had been out at that time. You know, the older minis weren't really good enough for that, but now, now they are. And yeah, it's just gotten interesting. Like I said, it kind of feels like the middle of that market has fallen out a little bit. Yeah, it have, does. Now you have low-end stuff that's still really good, and then you can spend thousands of dollars if you need the best possible footage. So what if if you had to guess, I don't know if you've looked at any of the rumor sites or whatever, what do you think DJI is going to announce in December? Do you think it's going to be more drone stuff, or do you think it's going to be more Ronin stuff? I mean, uh, they came out with a new gimbal this year, but mm-hmm. the the camera, what is it? The, the Ford Ronin 4D? Yeah, but that's a, over a year old, right? I think it is over a year old, mm-hmm. but I, honestly, I think it'll be an Inspire 3. So yeah, that's, that their, that's their high-end professional interchangeable lens. has a micro four-thirds uh, camera on it. That's that, that's that drone. I, th- I think the new ones are seven to 15,000, maybe somewhere in that range. So it's a very high-end, but I honestly think it'll be that. The reason I think it'll be that is because the Inspire 2 has been out for a long time. So It, it came it, out in November 2016. Yeah, so it is overdue for an update. And most companies don't want to do a consumer products release at this time of year because it's too late right. for holiday shopping. But nobody's buying an Inspire 3 to put under the Christmas tree. And so to me, that's that's what fits best. Then what are you getting me for Christmas? <laughs> well, here's the thing. That <laughs> so if the, if the Inspire 3 comes out, the Inspire 2 is going to be a lot cheaper on the used market. Sure. So that's interesting. It feels like if they came out with an Inspire 3, they're needing to compete with, you know, something that can carry a Red or a Komodo or whatever, you know, people who want to buy, you know, or not people, but like productions. Yeah. They want to spend $10,000 for a uh, quote unquote cheap, like Cine rig 
and then slap it on a drone and fly through and get these amazing shots. And I don't know what you buy out the box to get that. I mean, you're just going to hire a drone company that has something that can do it, I yeah. guess. So maybe this is much more accessible. I mean, I don't know. Like, right, what, are the, what are, we don't know what it's going to come out with. Yeah. But to me, it feels like it has to be able to mount a variety of cameras mm -hmm. that you can plug in via the USB-C port or whatever maybe and so. control that camera yeah. or like you can run your follow focus through and all that. And with the 40S that they've come out with, they have that, right? If they could just take a 40S and then hook it up to a drone. Yeah. Like maybe that's the solution and maybe that's yeah. what they do. I think that's what it is. I think they take the Ronin 4D and put that on a drone and they've got the DL mount, you know, lenses mm -hmm. and you And can, that's all yeah. super 35. I mean, mm -hmm. you could you, you could go out and grab yourself a Lowa Nanomorph. Yep. And then put it on this Inspire 3 and get some uh, yep. pretty sweet stuff. Yep. So that's that's what I'm expecting to see, especially if it hasn't been updated since 2016. I mean, that's 8 years old. Yeah, no so kidding. I, I think that's probably what's going to happen, but I guess we'll find out. All right, cool. Yeah. Very exciting. Yeah. So I'm sure we'll talk about it uh, if, when, whatever happens, happens. Yeah, I'm sure we will. All right. Speaking, I mean, speaking of Christmas, uh, there's been, you know, a lot of Black Friday deals that we've been watching and, and price drops. And uh, a lot of that was on Follow Focus, which we've talked about a little bit before. And, you know, something you're interested in. What's, uh, What's happening in the follow focus market right now? Yeah, yeah, it is interesting. The first one I saw was that the Tilta Nucleus Nano was back down to two hundred dollars. So I say Ooh. I say back down to because there was a time when it was like two hundred or two twenty five or something, and then somewhere around when COVID happened, it jumped up to three hundred, three hundred and twenty. Holy cow! And so big, big increase. But they dropped it for Black Friday. That's surprisingly cheaper than the small rig Magic Fizz. It, yeah, yeah. So the 200 is definitely cheaper. You know, it's pretty competitive. It's interesting to see them doing that. Uh, and I was I was tempted when I saw it. I was tempted to get one. Do you think it has anything to do with the competition in the market? Or do you think they finally caught up on supply chain? Or is it because of the rumors that we're hearing? It could be all the above. So for one thing, yeah, there is a rumor now of a Tilta Nucleus Nano 2. Dum, dum, dum. And that there's a video that dropped near the end of October where they announced that that might be coming and they showed, you know, some stuff where you can't really see, can't really see too much in the video, but is it, it's a video that the Tilta dropped. Yeah. So it was like a teaser, little teaser video. Oh, okay. Um, a sneak preview. Yeah. The, the two things they said in the video that were interesting. One was that it's going to be 60% cheaper. Hey, yo, which Wait, 60% cheaper than a $200 Tilta well, Nano they probably, 2? Or? I mean, I assume they mean the non-Black Friday price. Mm -hmm. But even still, if it's 60% cheaper than $320, that's really cheap. That's 140 smackaroonies. And, so that's, and, they, and then they said something like 200%, what did it say? 200% more capable, 200% more powerful, something like that. Boy, that sounds like buzzwords to me. Uh, no, no, it was it was less than that. It said 200% improvement. Oh. <laughs> so whatever, whatever that means. Uh, I mean, it takes you take the, uh, like, normally, if you did a 100% improvement, mm -hmm. that would be double. Yep. And so this is four times. Four times better, as good. Four times as good for in, in all the metrics. It's going to be four times lighter. It's going to be four times stronger motors. You're going to be able to use it from four times farther away. Right. That's what I'm yes. reading here. All, all of that. Yeah, for, all of that. For $160 less money. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, so that all sounds a little bit hard to believe if you ask me. I know that's what they said. But 
I don't know. And they, and they did say it's going to be compatible with the existing Nucleus Nano and the existing Nucleus M. So okay, that means okay. if you already have Tilta follow focus stuff, it's going to be compatible with that. So that's going to be really handy because this is going to be four times smaller. So <laughs> yeah, yes. So maybe that's why. Maybe they're trying to clear out old stock. That that could be it. And another thing you mentioned is that you know there's all this new competition, and I do think that's that's something I want to talk about a little bit because I think the Nucleus Nano was the first one in kind of this lower end prosumer, prosumer. accessible mm-hmm. I hate myself for saying that word blah yeah. blah blah but yeah like the axoon like just came out mm-hmm. the magic fizz just came out and yeah. they are directly competing mm-hmm. with this Delta and, thing and honestly they're they're better like i think the nucleus really? i think the nucleus nano has been outclassed by some of this newer stuff yeah I mean, it's it seems like there's a lot of things that I mean we we even had problems with the nuclear with the nano, but ignoring that, I mean it's the screen and the torque on the motors and all this stuff. It mm-hmm. yeah, the, I mean the accent seemed really appealing. The only downside that I saw on that one was the was the lack of handle options. One thing that I liked about the Nucleus Nano was that you can buy these extra handles for it. So if you want like a hand grip for your camera that has a focus wheel on it and has a battery, Tilta will sell you that. They're very expensive. They're like two hundred dollars for that for that handle, but you can buy the handle, and so it's it's neat that you have this ecosystem where you can get a handle that goes in your camera, or you can have a little knob controller that like a first AC could use. Like you you have these different options, and that was something that none of the others really had. But in spite of that, yeah, it's like Axoon came out with this FC01 follow focus system. It's about the same price as the Nucleus Nano. It has a better screen. Than the Nucleus Nano. And another thing I really liked is that you can attach the controller to the motor with just a wire. So if you don't want to use it in a wireless mode and you don't want to have to power the motor separately, like if you're just building up your so little So that wire rate, will deliver power and control. That's right. That's yeah. nice. And and I mean, that just seems like it would reduce a lot of uh, unreliability. You know, you don't have to worry about it losing connection. It's a cool feature, but the handle that comes with the Axoon is like a, a typical wheel style. Mm-hmm. It's not supportive. And so yeah. you're not going to be able to hold the camera and do that at the same time. So that it's a cool feature, but it feels yeah. like a weird add to a handle that's not built for it's it. It's hard to say. I mean, you could still, like if you had a top handle, you sure. could hold the camera from the top handle and use that knob. Yeah. Uh, if you had a shoulder rig, you know, you could be holding the camera with one hand and do using the knob. So I think there are some ways to use it. But I agree on the Axoon, it's a little bit a little bit of a niche thing. Yeah. And then on the other hand, the Small Rick Magic Fizz, we talked about that one a couple episodes ago. And that one came out recently, too. It's, again, in a pretty similar price bracket. It's like in the Nucleus Nano before the sale. You know, it's in that price bracket. It's like three, $300 with the knob controller, 400 if you want the hand grip instead yeah so the magic fizz has hand grip options which is nice and it also has that ability to attach the motor to the directly to the controller which makes a lot of sense if your controller is a hand grip so follow focuses are cool i've used one type of follow focus but i haven't done a ton of research and have like because i have trouble like imagining myself use one except for Mm -hmm. you know if I'm like, you know, someone's running a gimbal and you need a, a separate focus on it or whatever. And like bigger productions, your focus puller is a totally independent person, blah, 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 blah. But to me, I'm like, okay, what's, I mean, what's, what are you, what am, what am I getting different for the money here? These are all, you know, within maybe a hundred dollars of each other. And it's like, so it doesn't really matter maybe necessarily on price or if they are all exactly the same, why not just buy the cheapest? Mm -hmm. And so I'm looking at all these trying to figure out, okay, like why, why would you get one over the other? 
And it seems like the Nano is in need of replacement. Yeah. And then the um, Axun and the, and the Magic Fizz are new. And so, like, talking about talking about batteries, the Nano, you have to power the motor that's on the lens or touching the lens by D-tap. Yeah, D-tap or USB. Or USB. And so, you have to run it to some other battery that you yep. provided. Mm-hmm. And the controller uses these stupid rechargeable. They're not even like double A AA or triple A or yeah. whatever single A. They're huge. It's yep. like this cylinder. I think it's propri- an, eight, an eighteen six fifty. Yeah. Okay, so it's not a proprietary battery. Yeah. I mean, I don't have eighteen six fifties lying around. That's my point. It's because so you're, like, you're not in an FPV hobby. I have, <laughs> so, I have so many of them because so much FPV gear uses them. But but yeah, most people don't have those. Okay, this, this is making more and more sense. So if you're in FPV, maybe you're, maybe you're going. Maybe you're thinking about the Nano more. Okay, so weird FPV batteries and D taps. Mm-hmm. You go into the Axune, and what is? I don't know what this one uses. So the Axune, the hand knob thing uses. What is it? It's a Sony. NPF W50, which is not a Sony NPF battery like you're thinking. Mm. It's it's a little Sony battery that's used in like you know I don't know like the A6400, you know, like that that type of camera. Okay. And so it's this extra battery type you have to get. And you know what if you're not a Sony shooter? What if you don't sure. have that battery? So yeah. that's a little annoying. All right. So but but they do they does the grip and the uh, motor use the same thing, or does the motor have to be powered separately? So you you know you can you can connect it with a wire. You right, but if you, and if you do that, that powers it. Right, but if you're not anywhere nearby, like you're yeah. you have a separate camera set up, you're over there. Mm-hmm. How are you powering the motor for the Axune? I think it's similar to the Nucleus Nano, to where you you have like a B- I don't, BYOP. Or I think whatever. they may have USB C. Okay, as an option. Does like it have it, a yeah, D tab as an option? I think so. Okay, yeah. so yeah, you have options mm-hmm. versus the Nano, which you don't. There's one connection on that stinking thing. Yeah, it's always loose, and I hate it. And then the Magic Fizz. You can mount an NPF on the motor itself, mm-hmm. super cool, or you can power it via USB-C. Yep, or you can power it from the from either of the controllers. Right, so that's cool. Mm-hmm. And then the handle powers via Canon yeah, internal it, it, batteries. LP, LPE6. LPE, which is the stupidest choice. To me, if they, had, if they had made it so that you could power the handle or the thing by, can't never remember the name of LP. LPE6. LPE6 battery on both or NPF battery on both. That's like, that's the winner to me. Yeah. Boom. Forget about all the other features. These things use the same stupid battery. Uh, Yeah. That's just really annoying. That's weird. It feels like they, that feels like they Mm could have just took it because to me, having the option to mount a battery directly on the follow focus and not have to run wires. I'm just thinking about last time I used a follow focus and had a gimbal and having to deal with like, a wire bundle that runs yeah. down to my collective battery thing on the mm-hmm. sled and having to not hit it with my so many freaking times that I'm like, you know, gliding along and I bump the stupid wire bundle with my hand or whatever. Yep. And the whole camera turns and it's like, well, cut. We got to do the whole, whole thing yep. again. Yep. So being able to just mount it directly on that's, that's mm-hmm. huge to me. That feels like, uh, enough enough of a difference to make the so, magic fizz a winner here i think the way they did the batteries does make sense i thought it was weird at first that the two things use different types but to me it's like there's two main uses of a follow focus one one is like i have my own camera rig and i want to be able to pull focus without having to touch the lens and if you're doing that you're probably using the hand grip controller to where you have like a little thumb wheel that you can turn and then that's going to be like on your rig with the follow focus motor. And so Easy at that point, cable. you just run the cable and then you have one LPE6 battery that powers both both units. And that's pretty straightforward. 
And then the other case is like, you're on a bigger production, you have a first AC pulling focus. And at that point, you're probably going to have the knob controller completely separate, has an internal battery on it. And then you're going to need to power that focus motor. And so you could either run a DTAP if you already have V-mount batteries on your setup, or you could use that little NPF plate and power Mm -hmm. it that way. And so I don't think there's that many cases where you're actually using both the Canon battery and the NPF battery at the same time. I guess also an NPF battery is typically mounted externally and an LP6 battery is typically mounted internally. Mm -hmm. And they're able to make a more you know, uniform grip yep. by using an internal slider Yeah, that's battery. right. Because there's so many different sizes of NPF batteries, you can't really make something that slides into a... Uh, yeah, you'd have to be really specific that it has to be an NPF 504 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's why they did it. Okay, okay. I'll I'll let that slide. Can you power the handle separately? Like, mm-hmm. or I guess, like, you sure you could use a dummy battery, but does it also have, like, even leaving it empty and then you can run it from your... Uh, your V mount that you have on your all, rig. All of these things have a USB C power input, and you can get a DTAP to USB C. So nice. So you do, do you, but would I have to run two separate ones? Like if I had V mount on my camera rig, do I have to run uh, USB C to the follow focus motor and to the handle, or can I run it to the handle and the handle mm-hmm. to the motor? I'm not sure. I bet you can. I bet you can daisy mm-hmm. chain it, but I don't know for sure. Okay, cool. So we don't know that for yeah. sure, but I guess worst case, you could run a DTAP to a dummy LP06 battery. Did I get that right? Uh, LPE6. LPE6 yeah. battery. And then you could USB-C to the fall focus motor. Yeah. I don't know. That seems that seems pretty cool. Yep. Yep. All right. The, these systems all seem interesting to me. I mean, it feels to me like something that most, if you're, if you're not on a big production, most people don't need this, but I don't know. It's just something I want to learn about and right. know how to use. And I think they're cool. Okay. Other differences. What are the, what, what's the difference besides price? We talked about battery. Uh, grip availability right these all use different technology as far as how they're communicating to each other yeah they're not interchangeable yeah so not interchangeable so you have to buy like the magic fizz thing that works with the magic fizz thing and it seems like the nano probably has the most available gear for different focus yeah I i think i think i'd say that and then the axoon has one option and maybe they'll come out with a grip later but mm-hmm. they don't even have a handle for it it's, yeah, it's just it's the, the, the wheel the knob thing and then the magic fizz has multiple handle options has, left and right it has it has a i think there's a single handle controller and a knob controller oh i guess the handle controller can be mounted left or mm-hmm. right it's like reversible and then they have a knob controller so it seems to me like the magic fizz has everything you need now Axoon doesn't, but maybe cheaper and cooler. And then the Nano is just old. So if you want a Nano, maybe wait for the new one whenever that comes out next year. Yep, yep, I think so. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, there's always a difference in the screen. and Like the Nano screen is not as bright, but also, I mean, like the screen is like a freaking postage stamp. Yeah. How much does that matter? Well, I mean, you do end up using that screen for a couple of things. So for one thing, if you want to set AB points on these, you, you need to use the screen, you know, to kind of see what you're doing, I think. Okay. And I guess if you can't see the screen, then that's a problem. Yeah. Um, you also, like, usually there's some menu options. So if you want to change the direction of the knob, um, you know, make it clockwise or counterclockwise, that's something that you need from the screen. So, I mean, I don't think it's a deal breaker, but it's a downside that that screen is as dim as it is. Mm. So, I mean... Are you going to buy one of these? I don't know, man. Like, I'm, I'm tempted. Magic Fizz is what right now on sale? Well, so with the knob controller and the motor, it's 220 220 for the Magic Fizz. So it's right, right around where the Nucleus Nano is. So that, that is just with the knob, not the knob and the handle. That's right. The handle will be a different bundle. Yep. yep. And then the Axoon is 223 on mm-hmm. sale right yeah. now. So basically the same price yep. for exact same configuration. Yep. 
And then the Nano is $20 cheaper. Yeah, it's 200 right now. So, oh, geez, yeah, that's, that's all in the same range. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Oh, boy. The small rig one with the hand grip is 320 And, you know, I, th- I feel like if you're a solo shooter, you know, and you want to just have like a rig where you can hold onto a hand grip and mm-hmm. focus that way, then like yep. that's probably what you want rather than the knob. And yeah. that's 320 whereas like from Tilta to get that same setup, it's probably going to cost you closer to 400 because you'd need the $200 kit and then an add-on handle. And those handles mm-hmm. are like 200 bucks. So, How much is the Magic Fizz handle? Uh, if you buy just the Magic Fizz handle by itself, the normal price is 220 Right now, it's on sale for 175 Okay, so similar. Yeah. Man, that's tough. Mm-hmm. I guess another thing to think about is like, what are you, what are you going to use this on? I mean, maybe you'll build out a shoulder rig or whatever. Yeah. But like, depending upon, and like Fuji's can be, can be bad about this depending upon the lens. Uh, like you can set linear in Fuji menus and I'm bringing up Fuji because that's what you're shooting right now. Mm-hmm. And so you can set linear for whatever your, your lens is. But some of those lenses, even on linear, have really short throws. Yep. And so like the like the I was looking at the 23 1.4 that came out this year with its new linear motor. And in manual focus, the throw from infinity to zero is really, really short. Mm-hmm. And I guess for these things, you could program A B as like if it say it's like a half turn of the lens, which would be really dumb. You could program A B as a half turn and then you could have a really wide turn on your wheel for the handle. Uh, and have like a more fine control of yeah. the focus. Yeah, that's always how you do it. So you you calibrate these things with the lens and you calibrate it to the to the extremes of the focus and then it makes the entire throw of the knob uh you know which is like on the knob controller it's usually like 320 degrees or something so it's almost a full right. rotation and you calibrate that to be like the entire focus throw of the lens. So it can give you more precise. So like it democratizes the like if you have a bunch of different lenses that have different throw lengths, yeah, it makes as long the as same. they're linear, you can make it so that it basically behaves the same way for you, no matter what lens you're using. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. Well, and you can set the separately from that, you can set an AB focus pull. Cool. So if you know, you know, for this one shot, I need to pull focus from this spot, to this spot, you can set that. And then that makes the entire throw of the knob from your A point to your B point. And so, you could repeatably do this focus pull, which might be useful for whatever you're trying to do. I was trying to think if there was any issues that you might run into with like any of your current cameras or whatever. Do you have any like micro four third lenses that are non-linear and that you can't make operate in a linear focus manner? Well, yeah. So on the GH5, you don't have the ability. It's, it's a camera setting. It's not a lens setting. Right. Uh, on the GH5, you do not have the ability to set linear focus. Okay. So it's always um, the accelerating, you know, like it. So how do you deal with that with a follow focus? I mean, you can set the, you know, out and in points, but mm-hmm. now it's never, now it's not linear. It's Yeah. You- so, I mean, it's the same as using the lens. Like if you think about it, when you turn that knob on the follow focus, right? it's, it's basically like, like your hand is moving the, the ring on the lens. Right. And so if you move from zero to a hundred on the follow focus knob, it's still going to move the lens mm-hmm. from zero to a hundred, but it's just going to do it faster or slower. And it's not going to be like, a so I guess if, focus if you're dealing like the worst case scenario where you have a lens that doesn't have hard stops on the focus ring. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's like fo- focus by wire and the camera doesn't have a linear focus mode. So it's always accelerating and always, you know, infinite both directions. Yeah. You would set up the follow focus motor to have no hard stops on it as far as like the calibration and then that way you can infinitely turn it in both directions think, in order to deal can, with the lens. Yeah, I don't. I mean, you can't you can't infinitely turn the knob. 
like the knob on the follow focus units is not okay infinite turns so, so depending upon how, how fast you you swing that puppy around yeah. if you're in this really weird situation you could have lenses that just straight up don't work yeah. with the follow focus it's very possible might, okay. have, might have to try that out i guess um, that's something to keep in mind like you don't like especially since you're, like on the xh2s you can set the linear like, yeah i don't think you're going to have that issue there mm-hmm. but it's almost something to keep in mind of like if you were going to use it on another camera or yeah. whatever, you could run into a, a thing where it just doesn't work across the board for everything. Yeah. They've thought about as much as they can, yeah. but they can only do so much. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is a potential problem for sure. Okay. I don't know. You know, I think a shoulder rig is a really obvious use of a follow focus because the lens is not close to where you can, like it's harder to focus, you know, without, right. without that. I mean, I've always been interested in it just for a handheld rig just so that i can have my hand on a hand grip instead of on the lens i felt like maybe i could get more stable shots maybe it would feel nicer to hold mm-hmm. and then i mean you know the other obvious use is like doing a production where you want to have sure. a camera in a fixed position and you want somebody to pull focus uh you know without touching the camera so i think yeah. there are uses for them but it's definitely a niche thing and mm-hmm it really runs the risk of being like, a, you know, adding adding complexity to your kit without getting benefit. Yep. I think that's the concern. I mean, it's more batteries you have to deal with. And like mm-hmm. now you're powering a monitor and the follow focus and the camera. Yep. And it's just, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if it's worth it. If you had to get one like right now, which one would you get? I would probably get the Magic Fizz, nice. uh, especially on, on sale. But it seems like you can get a good kit for a reasonable price um, and... As far as I can tell, it checks all the boxes. Cool. But if, if, if you weren't in a hurry and you could wait six months for them to come out with the the new Nano or the new uh, Tilta follow focus, mm-hmm. you could find something that's uh, four times lighter, four times <laughs> stronger, uh, four times cheaper, uh, just across the board. 200%. 200% improvement. Yeah, yeah. 200% improved. I mean, so. how do we go wrong with that? I, I mean, honestly, it feels like worth worth wait, worth the wait. So yeah, Maybe so. I don't know. Man. Cool. Anything else? No, no. I think we've uh, I think we've covered all the things. All right, great. That's going to do it for the show today. Thanks for joining us. And if you enjoyed it, we'd encourage you to rate us on iTunes and tell your photography friends about the show. Also, check out our website at cameragearpodcast.com to learn more or send us feedback and questions. We'll be back with more next week.